reading for us. Hello everyone, my name is Jesse, if I haven't met you yet. I'm the ministry apprentice here at Oasis Church and I am so excited to open up the scriptures and spend time in it with you together this morning. Uh, Before we do that, why don't we just pray and ask that God will bless us as we study his word. And just by the way, uh, this morning especially, it's going to be very useful to you if you have your Bibles to keep them open to Psalm 27. But Why don't we pray now and ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now and confess to you that we want to be blessed by you. We ask you for your blessing. Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be at work here this morning. Father, we pray that you will make your words clear to us. Father, please encourage those who need encouragement. Please challenge those who need challenging. Please comfort those who need comforting. Father, we we just come before you and ask that your words will impact us powerfully. Amen. 150 years ago, there was a man named James Hannington. He's a missionary to Africa and was attempting to reach the people under the rule of a powerful king named Mwanga. But he was stopped, beaten to within an inch of his life, and thrown into a rat-infested prison. After about a week, he was about to be executed, but the night before his execution, he wrote this down in his diary. I am quite broken down and brought low, comforted by reading Psalm 27. This is the psalm that we're looking at together here this morning. This is the psalm that brought James Hannington comfort in the moment when everything seemed lost. Friend, you might feel depressed this morning. You might feel like life is hard. You might be afraid of the economy or some future catastrophe or because you just lost your job. Maybe you're a teen and you feel like there are bullies at school who are out to get you. Maybe at work. They're bullies. Maybe you need to find a place to rent, but because of the housing crisis, you just cannot find anything. Might feel like you're surrounded by enemies, like the world is out to get you. What do you do when you face these difficult situations? Where do you turn? What do you think about when a problem seems just too big? Psalm 27, the psalm that we're looking at together right now, shows us a way that we can have comfort and confidence in the most difficult of times. If you're kind of new to church, here's a quick background on the psalms in the Bible. Basically, the psalms were the ancient songbook of the followers of God who lived before Jesus. People would sing these psalms and sometimes they would pray them. Often, they would do both at the same time. Oasis Church actually lives this out really beautifully each Sunday when we sing songs together. On the one hand, we're singing, but on another hand, we are praying to God. 
as we sing. Well, this psalm, it's kind of similar. The author of this psalm, as it says there, um, Psalm 27, a psalm of David, was King David. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, and he wrote many of the songs in the psalms. David had so many adventures in his life. There were times when his situation looked hopeless, when it looked like all was lost. And this psalm was probably written by him during one of those times. We don't know which time, but it was probably written by him during a terrible, trying time. Could have been at the time when his wife was captured by bandits. Could have been when he was being chased by the evil King Saul. Maybe when his son Absalom rebelled against him with a massive army. There were many occasions in David's life for him to be filled with fear. And this psalm helps us to understand how he learned to process it. It's a picture of how David, who God calls a man after my own heart processes a scary and frightening situation. To explore how David processed a scary situation, we're going to see how we can do it as well. We see three things that enabled David to overcome fear. And the first is confidence in the Lord. In the first six verses of this psalm, David reminds himself of his confidence in the Lord. As he goes along, he progressively gets more and more confident until by the end of the section he's talking about shouting with joy. You can almost imagine him starting out slowly and quietly and then finishing loudly and confidently. He starts with a question. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's such beautifully, beautiful simplicity to this logic. Romans chapter 8, Paul picks up on the same idea, saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is the foundational truth of this psalm. It is the foundational truth of David's life, and really, it's the foundational truth of the whole world. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one, no one can be against us. There is no need to be afraid of anyone or anything if God is for us. This is the opening reminder of David, and it ought to be our opening reminder to ourselves whenever we are faced with a frightening situation. If God is for us, if God is for me, everything will be okay. If God is for me, I don't need to be afraid. If God is my light and my salvation and my stronghold, then I am eternally and totally safe forever. David then, he gives some examples of times when God is stronger than the enemies in his life. He's reminding himself of his confidence in the Lord. When the wicked attack him, he writes, they are the ones who will stumble and fall. Not because of David's strength or his planning or his trickiness, but because David belongs to the Lord. The same as we do. When an army surrounds him in a siege, he writes, he will not fear. Being surrounded by an army in the ancient world was a terrible situation to be in. It meant that the enemy army was more powerful and probably bigger than yours. If you could have met them on the open field of battle before you were surrounded and besieged, you would have done that. People would despair and freak out, rip their clothes, pull hair out of their heads when they were besieged. 
And David says that even in that kind of extreme circumstance, he won't be afraid. He says that even if war breaks out against him, he will be confident, is the word he uses there. Confident. That's crazy. This is like saying, if the worst thing possible were to happen to me, I will be confident. It's like saying, if I lose my job, I will be confident. If I lose my house, I will be confident. If I lose my friends, I will be confident. If my greatest fear came to pass, I will be confident. This isn't empty confidence, as verses 4 to 6 remind us. It's confidence in the living God. David says that he longs to be in the house of God, to gaze upon God's beauty because he knows that as long as he is close to God, he is untouchable. In verse 5, he writes, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. The Hebrew word for dwelling here is the same word that they would use for a lion's den. David is saying that as long as he's close to God, it's as if he's safe in the home of a powerful lion. He's like a protected guest. I don't know how many of you have seen the classic Disney movie, The Lion King. If you remember, there was a lion's den in a little cave behind Pride Rock. It comes up on the screen. As long as the king lion, Mufasa, was there, it was the safest place in all the land. And David is saying that God is like a protective lion, that if we are close to him, we don't have to be afraid of anything, that we can be focused on worshiping him. He's so confident that he begins already to plan the victory celebration at God's place in verse 6. He talks about shouts of joy and joyful singing and music. Friends, this is the kind of confidence that we should have in God. We should have the kind of confidence in God that causes us to rejoice before we even see or understand what God will do. That causes us to plan our victory celebration before our crisis is even resolved. This sounds like nice, but ultimately powerless, positive thinking. But it isn't. There is a basis for David's confidence and a basis for our confidence. David's confidence was based on reading the first couple books of the Bible where he discovered God's pattern of love and care towards the people whom he loves. And based on God's promises to Adam and Eve and to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses. Based on how God had already acted in David's own life. But our confidence is way stronger than anything that David had. We know so much more of the story of God's goodness than David knew. We have everything that David had and so much more. In the words of Paul from Romans 8, again, it says, He who did not spare his own son, meaning Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? David couldn't see things as clearly as us. He didn't quite know the depth of God's generosity, the unimaginable care that God has for us. 
He didn't know that God's own son would come and die for us, and he still had faith in God. Even though he saw things dimly, as if through a mirror, he still trusted. How much more reason do we have to trust the God who gave his only son for us? The God who held nothing back from us. R.C. Sproul, he's this American Bible teacher. He puts it this way. He says, in the darkest of hours, the cross stands as a reminder that God will not abandon us. And this is why we are supremely confident as followers of Jesus. This is why James Huntington could find comfort in this psalm even when he was facing torture and death. This is why we can sing to God like Paul and Silas sang in the Corinthian jail cell in Acts 16 after being badly beaten and thrown into the darkest, most disgusting part of the jail. They sang in the midst of terrible suffering, horrible suffering, because they trusted in God. Because of Jesus, they believed that the end of their story was already written and it was a good ending. They sang praises to God before they saw or understood what God was doing or how he would save them. Radical confidence because of the cross. So the first way that David was able to overcome his fear was through reminding himself of his confidence in the Lord. And the second was through prayer to the Lord. David, he's been talking about the goodness of being with the Lord. And John Calvin, who's this preacher from about 500 years ago, he once said, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Well, David puts into action his confidence in God by coming to God in prayer. There's a sudden shift in David's tone in verses 7 to 12, and he shifts from talking about God to talking directly to God. He's reminded himself of his confidence, his faith in God, so now, of course, he speaks directly to God, the one who is able to make his enemies stumble, the one who is his light, who is his stronghold. And friends, there is real value for us in his example. When you are faced with a fearful situation, you need to remind yourself of who God is. And then you need to come to him in prayer. The creator of everything, the ruler of the universe, has given you direct access to him and invited you to speak with him. This is like being friends with and having direct phone line to the richest, most powerful person in the whole world, except infinitely better. Let me just read David's prayer for us and notice the raw emotion. David, he's not hiding anything from God. God knows everything anyway, including David's and my and your thoughts. So David is real about his requests. He knows that God knows all about what's troubling him. So he brings his troubles to God. Friends, we need to be as real as David when we speak with God. Let, let, me, let me just read it. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. So much that we can focus on here in David's prayer. But for the sake of time, we'll just pick up on verse 10, which says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And friends, if you belong to God, then he is more in favor of you than your own mother. There's a saying that you might hear sometimes, only his own mom could ever love him. Well, sometimes even a person's earthly parents reject them. Sometimes a person's children reject their parents. A person's closest friends might reject them. But we will never be rejected by God. God says through Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 that if you belong to Jesus, then you have been chosen from before the creation of the world. God chose from before the dawn of time itself to adopt you into his spiritual family through Jesus Christ. And friend, if you belong to Jesus, you are adopted into his family. You have a spiritual father who loves you. And you are not just loved right now either. You were loved from before the creation of the world. And you will be loved for all of eternity by the God who does not make mistakes. The God who does not forget or lose his love or disown his children. Let me just further reassure you with these words from Romans which are written specifically to address people who are going through difficult circumstances. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the rhetorical question is answered in the following verses. But to sum them up, the answer is no, never, nothing, no one shall separate us from the love of Christ. Amazing. Praise God. Praise God. No matter what comes, if you are chosen by God for adoption into his eternal spiritual family, you are loved by him. And his love is more secure than the love of any earthly mother or father. So David was able to overcome his fear. Firstly, through reminding himself of his confidence in the Lord. Secondly, through prayer directly to the Lord. And then thirdly and finally, through lifting his eyes to the future and explicitly placing his hope in the Lord. David expresses in verse 13 that he is confident that God will be good to him in the land of the living. And we actually know that God did do this for David in an earthly way. He died a very old man, peacefully and in bed. Whatever the crisis that David was facing when he wrote this psalm, God helped him to overcome it. Secondly, there's more, but we'll pick up on it in a second. Secondly, David almost gives himself an instruction in verse 14 about how to move forwards. He says to himself, he's addressing himself, wait, meaning hope, for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait, hope, in the Lord. The right thing to do in any and every situation no matter how scary, how frightening, is to hope in the Lord. 
Or to put it another way, to have faith in God. Not just faith that God is objectively good, but faith that God will be good to us, his adopted children. That no matter what happens, what troubles overtake us, that he has secured our eternal destiny. That the end of our story is written and it is magnificent. We can, with absolute confidence and peace, place our trust in him. Remember that quote that I mentioned earlier about how the cross stands as our eternal reminder that God will not abandon us? Well, even this psalm from the Old Testament written before Jesus foreshadows the cross. David's faith was amazing, especially given how little he knew compared with us who see the full majesty of God sending his son to die for us. Because of Jesus, this psalm takes on whole new levels of meaning. It gives us even better reasons to be confident than David had. Even more reasons to worship and thank and glorify our saving, rescuing Father. In verse 9, it talks about God hiding his face from and turning his face away from his servant in anger. Well, friends, in Matthew 27, as Jesus was hanging on the cross in the middle of dying, he says these words. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, Jesus' Father, turned away from Jesus on the cross in a way that David never experienced in a way that you and I will never experience if we are saved by Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took on the sins of every person who will ever be adopted into God's family. Suffering in our place, the wrath of God, so that we might be declared righteous and good and holy. God abandoned Jesus in that moment. Because Jesus had taken on our sins and our brokenness and God's holiness and perfection forced him to turn away from his own son whom he loved. And he did it for us so that God will not turn his face away from us if we belong to Jesus. So that if we belong to Jesus, then we will be blameless in his eyes through the forgiveness bought by the blood of Jesus. So that God will never turn his face away from us, never forsake us, never abandon us, because our sins are fully paid for by Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can have confidence that God's gaze towards you is filled with love and compassion and care. Because of Jesus, you can know that the record of your sins is purged, that your clothes are washed, that every crime you have ever committed against God or against your fellow human, man or woman, or against yourself is forgiven by the one who made you and has adopted you into his eternal spiritual family. Oswald Chambers, a Scottish missionary, pastor, and author, he says, Jesus drank a cup of wrath without mercy so that we might drink a cup of mercy without wrath. 
Isn't that so wonderful? Isn't God so good to us? Praise God. Praise God. That isn't the end of the story, though. Jesus was confident before his torture and execution that God would raise him from the dead, that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And God raised him from the dead. Jesus waited for the Lord, and after three days in the grave, he arose back to life. Friends, this is also God's promise to you. Just like it is God's promise to David. David is now in heaven, reigning in eternal life, in the land of the living with Christ. Jesus, raised back to the dead, reigning in power and glory at the right uh, side of the Father. And friend, if you belong to Jesus, if he is your stronghold, your light, your salvation, then God will raise you from the dead as well. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living for all of eternity. You can, like David and like Jesus, have confidence that after all is said and done, you will be gloriously victorious. The greatest enemy of all of humankind, the fear that plagues us all, has been defeated by Jesus. Death has been crushed. And Jesus invites us to take his hand and to share in his victory, to be co-heirs with him, to enjoy eternal life, life to the full. There will be storms and troubles and sufferings that we will face in this life just like David was facing whenever he wrote this psalm. But if we hold on to Jesus, then we can be confident that we will be ultimately safe, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that we don't need to be afraid anymore. Before we pray, can I just encourage you, if you don't yet belong to God, Change that today. Speak with someone after the service. It would bring us as a church so much joy to help you make the Lord, like it says in verse 1, your light and your salvation so that you don't have to fear. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we come before you again and we just thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Thank you that you are for us and not against us. Thank you that we can have confidence in you. That whenever we are afraid, we can look to the cross and be reminded that our eternal destiny is secure. Father, I pray for those in this room and those watching online who are going through hard times right now. Father, I pray that you will help them. Father, please give them confidence and faith in you. Help them to glorify you through their confidence in you before they even understand what you are doing. Father, you are so good to us. We thank you, we praise you. 
Father, we pray for anyone watching or here in this room who, who is, does not belong to you yet. Does not belong to Jesus. And Father, we pray that you will make yourself irresistible to them. Father, we pray that you will make the scriptures and the good news of Jesus clear to them. Father, if they are wanting to enter into your eternal life today, Father, please help them to make that happen. Please be at work through the power of the Holy Spirit in each one of us here this morning. Amen.